Amen. Amen. It's good to hear you guys singing. Um, what's up, citizens? How are we doing tonight? I love it. Hey, it's Wednesday night. It's the best night of the week. Yeah. Let's go. I need, I know it's been exhausting with school. I know it's just like way too much some days. And like going back to school and seeing people and talking to them is just too much. But I want us to be pumped when we're here on Wednesday night. So citizens, it's Wednesday night. It's the best night of the week. Come on, let's go. There's a minute there where it was like towards the end uh, of that last song. And I was like, man, I really do not want to get up and preach right now because it's just so good to sing with you guys. It's just so good to be with you guys. And I don't really like listening to myself talk. And so I was like, man, can we just like sing forever? This is awesome. And so, um, yeah, that was awesome. It's good to hear you guys sing. It's good to, to gather together every single Wednesday night. And uh, tonight we're going to see, we're uh, continuing in uh, Acts in our series called The Spark, where, where we're going through Acts 1 through 3. We're seeing something incredible happen. We're watching the kingdom uh, of God uh, be seen and realize the authority of Jesus Christ on earth through his church and through his living, breathing spirit is seen here in Acts. And it's seen throughout history and the, the movements uh, that we see all throughout history of the Lord moving in miraculous ways. The church being uh, revitalized and grown in areas where uh, people are hostile to the mission of God. We see the church continue to grow and we get to get a glimpse in, through God's word, the very beginning of that process. So we're continuing. Tonight we're going to be in verses, uh, number in, in, in chapter 1, verses number 12 through 20. So I want you guys to open up your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, please bring your physical copy of your Bibles because I want you to put your phones on the floor. Courtney said that one day. She said, Bibles hand, phones floor. And so if you could do that again, that would be awesome. It's just something that uh, I want to continue to do here at Citizens because I know if you're anything like me and you're using your phone Bible uh, and you're on it, then all of a sudden you get a text and it's like, dude, I'm zoning out. I'm watching, like, this thing happen on my phone right now. And it's like, oh, wait, shoot, where was I? Acts. So, phones, floor, Bible, hand. And uh, I think we have physical copies of Bibles for you if you need them. So, uh, go ahead and, uh, first of all, just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to have friends, to be connected? I want us to, I want you to think of something. It's good to have friends. It's good to have people around you. It's good to have people surrounding you in your life. It's good to have people encouraging you. Uh, there are certain things that should not and really cannot be done alone. There's certain, certain things that are super unwise. If you decide to do them all by yourself, it is not going to be a really good thing. Uh, so if you're deciding that you're wanting to, like, get back in shape, you know, like most people are, like, around January 1st and 2nd and not so much on the 3rd and 4th. But if it's like January 1st, you have experienced, you saw, you stayed up till midnight, which, wait a second, it's like 3 a.m. here, I guess, I'm just realizing, right? Or no, I, it's late here for the East, anyway, I don't know, whatever. Um, anyway, you stayed up late, it's midnight, you did it, it's great, and you're like, dude, I'm going to work out, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow, I'm going to bench press 200 pounds all by myself. For the very first time ever, I'm just going to go to the gym. I'm going to buy this equipment. I'm going to bring it home or whatever it may be. And I'm just going to go do this all by myself. Good idea or bad idea? idea. Why? Bad idea. Okay. Okay. If you don't have a spotter on you when you're trying to lift something heavy, it's it's not going to be good. 
it's going to fall on you or you're going to be stuck awkwardly there for like a long time or possibly worse. Okay. Um, or hiking. All right. There are so many amazing hikes around here. Is it a great idea to go on a brand new hike? Let's say, I don't know, something small like to Summit Mount Hood or whatever. Something just tiny like that. Is it a good idea to do that by yourself? No, not a great idea, right? Or is it a good idea to, to, to start something new and to, to not have someone join you on that endeavor? No, God has called us and he has created us people, human beings, to work together, to live together, to be with one another in community. We're called to be united together. And here in uh, Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus, the uh, fulfillment of Scripture, where Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to uh, dwell with his people, that God is going to be nearer and closer to the hearts of his people than ever before in history. And Jesus promises that it would be better for me to go so that you may have the helper with you. He said this, we talked about this last week. If you weren't there last week, Jesus then ascends into heaven, and the disciples are stuck there looking, staring at the sky. And, the dis- and then these two angels appear, and they say, Jesus is going to return one day. He's going to return in the same way that you saw him ascend into heaven. And so, so that's where we're at today. The disciples tonight, what we're going to read from our text, are joined together in community. They're joined, they're united together in love. There is something that unites the people of God together. Because we're not supposed to do things by ourselves, right? We're not supposed to live life alone. There are certain things that if you do alone, hiking Mount Hood or, you know, trying some new and dangerous hobby, if you try them by yourselves, you're going to get injured, you're going to get lost, you're going to get confused, right? More so than that, you're going to get lonely doing certain things. And honestly, you wouldn't be as effective as you could have been if you were with someone else. And God has actually given us the tools, the things that we need in order to thrive in the Christian life, his spirit, his word, and his people. And we're going to get a glimpse into that tonight, specifically about his people. I'm going to read this text for us. So I want you guys to uh, pay attention, to listen closely. And there's going to be a couple words in this passage uh, I'm excited to talk about. But it's, uh, the Bible isn't, let's say this, the Bible isn't necessarily rated pg uh, it's not even rated PG-13 at certain parts of the Bible. There's some things that we're going to read. We're going to talk about it. I don't want you to get confused, but it's, uh, it's going to be kind of confusing. So we're going to do that. It's going to be awesome. I know now all the middle school boys are like, what are we going to read? And they're like trying to read ahead. They're like, what are we going to learn about? Uh, all right, verse, verse 12. We're going to see this guy named Matthias who is uh, now going to become an apostle. And uh, we're going to see why he had to become an apostle and why there was... Uh, not as many apostles as there should have been. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they were and, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was 
in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among all that was allotted to share in his ministry. Now this is where it gets interesting. Now the man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open. Is this talking about Judas? Yes, 100%. He burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. Huh. Fascinating. Verse 19, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a super beautiful name, the field of blood. Whoa, cool. Um, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let, there be an, uh, let no one uh, dwell in it and let another take his office. I accidentally said 20. We're going to verse 25. So one of the men who had accompanied during all the time that Jesus went out among us, uh, beginning with the baptism of John until the day where uh, he was taken out from us, one of these men must become us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas and the other called, and also called Justice and Matthias. They prayed and said, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place, namely when his uh, bowels got spilled all over the field. That's where Judas went. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles, now making 12 again. This is a story. This is a narrative. This is uh, a story of something that actually happened through Scripture. So it's important to read Scripture in the context of uh, what kind of, uh, you know, w w the way it's written. And so there's instruction, there's uh, poetry, there's all these things, and this is narrative. So this is a story that actually happened. Jesus' disciples were actually on the side of a mountain. They actually watched Jesus ascend. They go to a literal upper room, and this, all these things happen. So that's why we read the text like we do. We're, we're called here. We see this. We see uh, a part of ourselves, part of our lives in the midst of this passage, specifically verse 14. All with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together under one accord. That idea of being unified together, that idea of being one with one another, the idea of seeing things similarly, the idea of, of being of one mind, of one mission, of one spirit. That's what God's people are called to. Jesus' followers must be united together on mission. That's our main idea for tonight. Jesus' followers must be united together on mission. We've been talking about it for the last couple weeks, that Jesus has called us not just to ourselves. He's called us not just to our seats, not just to uh, our comfortable uh, life, our comfortable theological perspective, our comfortable little bubble that we live in, right? We don't come to church so we can receive like content into our brains and, and to go out and say, I'm a better Christian because I know more. No, he has called us to mission. He has called us to go. And we see here tonight in this text that Jesus' followers must be united together on mission. Verses uh, 12 through 14. Look at it. So they're returning from, uh, they're returning to Jerusalem. 
uh, from the Mount Olivet, which is nearly uh, a Sabbath day journey, about like 800 or 900 yards or so. Uh, that was a, a distance that was managed by the high priest. It was a, it was a thing that you uh, couldn't surpass on the Sabbath day or it would have been work. And so they, uh, they followed that. It was about a Sabbath day journey away from when they were. And they entered into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What a beautiful picture. The people who saw the resurrected Jesus. The people who saw Jesus, the holes in his hands, the ones who heard his voice, the ones who watched him do miracles, they're all gathered together after listening to what he has instructed. Uh, you know, I wonder, it's one of these iconic places in scripture that we talk about, and it's, it's one of these beautiful uh, places that, you know, you almost wish you could have been a fly on the wall at some of these moments, and we're gonna see specifically why next week. But this is an iconic place. But I can imagine what some of these discussions would have been like. I could imagine what some of these conversations would have been like after all that had happened in the last like 40, 50 uh, days or so. They're with Jesus. They watched him arrested. Watched, they, they watched their friend, their brother, Judas, the person that they thought they could trust, betray Jesus. They watched Jesus die. They waited in three days in agony only to see the best news of all time. Jesus is alive and they see him there, and they, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's with them for 40 more days, only to be like, all right, is this the time? This is now that we get it now. Now we're going to finally take back Israel for you, and Jesus ascends into heaven. And it's just, what is happening, these conversations, this moment? What are they feeling? What's the weight like in this room? So oftentimes in life, we have ways that we process things. We have situations that happen in our lives that are confusing, that are weird, that are hard. And oftentimes in life, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes we just bottle those things up. Sometimes we keep those things close to our hearts. Sometimes we'll just, you know, we'll just not, we'll not talk about it or only tell a few types of people. Or maybe we'll casually mention it to someone, but that's a bit of a stretch. Now here, the instructions were to wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And what do the disciples do in the waiting? What do the disciples do while they're in this confusing and exciting time all at the same time? What do they do in this moment? They're committed to one another. They were devoting themselves to prayer together. They're devoting themselves to prayer together. This is our first point. God's followers are persistently united together under the mission of God. Jesus's followers, God's followers, are persistently united together under the mission of God. Jesus gives them instructions. Jesus uh, calls his listeners to do this thing, to not leave Jerusalem. He has given them instructions, and they are united together. They are waiting in faith, and they are praying in faith that Jesus will do the thing that he has called them to do. And that is our response as well. God's called you to a mission. We've been talking about it for like four weeks now. Jesus has called you to do something. He's called you to be faithful in obeying it, but he's also called the body of Christ, the people of Christ, the followers of Jesus to persistently unite together under the mission of God. Under the mission of God. The thing that he has called you to do. 
I like that they list off all the disciples here, all 11 of them. Of course, Judas is uh, very intentionally left out. We're going to read about that. We're going to see about uh, who that guy is and why he's left out of it. And, and these are the disciples. These are the people who followed Jesus. They were faithful to him. They followed him. They listened to him. And now they're about to experience the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes, we've talked about this before, we look at them in Scripture, we kind of idolize them, and we're like, man, and sometimes there's sermons where it's like, you just got to be more like Peter and step out of the boat, or you have to be, you know, more like this character in the Bible and, and, and conquer and slay these giants when Jesus is the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of all the people in this story. We see Peter, the man who doubted Jesus, listed first. Peter, the man who doubted Jesus and uh, denied him three times and then restored to ministry by Jesus Christ himself. The one who would uh, put his foot in his mouth. The one who would, uh, he, he, he was able to say the right things at the right moment, but then the follow through side, you're like, Peter, come on. I thought you got all hyped up about this thing. Uh, you know, so someone who's overly emotional and someone who didn't follow through, not exactly the number one choice for a leader of a group, right? If you're like picking at someone to lead a group project, you want to pick someone who follows through with things, right? And then of course, Jesus says, Peter, or he says, Simon Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, changing his name to Peter, right? On this rock. And then in, in, in that language, of course, that word actually means rock, Petro, like it's, he's like, you're the rock now, Peter, and I'm going to build my church on you, actually. And so that's who, uh, uh, you know, Jesus picks to lead John, the beloved disciple, the one to first see of the disciples, the one to first see the resurrection. Young fisherman, probably no former education. James, John's older brother, also nicknamed uh, with John, the sons of thunder because of their hot temperament. Jesus kind of gives them this name. Also fisherman. Andrew, the younger brother of Simon Peter, also fisherman, uh, classic. Uh, Bartholomew uh, calls, uh, you know, in, in, in John chapter one, he's called by Jesus to go on mission. He famously says, can anything good come out of Nazarene, which of course Jesus was from. Bartholomew, Jesus calls him also in John one, or I just said that. Uh, Thomas, he doubts Jesus even after the resurrection, right? If only I can see the holes in his hand. Matthew, tax collector, redeemed out of a dishonest work uh, and, and, and redeemed out of a lifestyle that was actively stealing from the people of God. James, Simon, Judas, all of these people gathered together. They are not the heroes of this story. They're the people who are awaiting God's instructions. They're awaiting for God to move. They are awaiting for this thing to happen. The brothers of Jesus and, and, and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, the women, they're also with them. Jesus' brothers, Jesus' half-brothers, also recorded in the book of Mark, not believing Jesus himself, believing Jesus was out of his mind. There's all these people throughout Scripture, and they're not the heroes, but God is the hero of these stories. All fallible, emotionally unstable at times, doubters, sinners, uneducated, timid, betraying men, all under one accord, called to lead the church of Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later. That's the people that God chose. And so there should be no doubt in your mind that God can use you. There should be no doubt in your mind when you're wondering if God can use you in your past, in your history, in your sin, there should be no doubt to know that God chooses imperfect people to do his will. But we are not called to do it by ourselves. They were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together in this upper room. 
They were called. That verb translated to being joined constantly. It's the idea of building something. It's the idea of, uh, you know, constantly uh, joining together, right? Galvanizing. If you're going to build the foundation of something, it better be pretty sturdy, right? And this is what God's going to build his church on. And they're united together, constantly being joined together in prayer. This is an active commitment. This is an active commitment that we are called to as well. Are there people in your life right now that you go to, that you have? Are there people around the table, so to speak, that you know, that you can trust, that you love, and that you pray with constantly? Or are you constantly trying to push away from others? Are you constantly trying to push away from people who would surround you? Because everything here throughout the book of Acts calls towards unity. Everything through the rest of the entire New Testament, it's this almost obsession throughout these writers of the New Testament. You know, I call you to be of one mind. There's one spirit, one baptism. There are many uh, body parts, but there is one headship, and that's Jesus Christ. There is constantly a call to become in community, to be galvanized with the people and the church of God. And so the question for you is, is what you're doing in your life right now, is it causing you to push away the people of God, to push away from that one-mindedness, to push away from that unity, or the things that you're doing in your life, the people that you're surrounding yourselves with, is it calling you closer to that unity, closer to that community that we all crave? Because there's one mission. Sure, there's different perspectives. There's different things that Christians get up in arms about, and we don't have time to get into all that right now, but are you, for the most part, agreeing with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you agreeing to community? Are you allowing God to do a sanctifying work through the people of God, right? We have his spirit, we have his word, and we have his people because we're not called to do this by ourselves. We're not called to be alone. Are you constantly trying to grow closer to community or is there any part of you right now that's trying to push away? And do you believe that's the spirit of God leading you? In your daily life, if you're like, man, I just don't know if I go to church today. Dude, I just don't know if I go to citizens. I don't know if I can talk about this thing. I don't know if I can grow closer with that person, right? And you know that that is the community that God wants you to be in, right? If you're constantly pushing away from those things, if you're looking back in your life in the past two or three years, you've begun to stray a little bit further away from the people and community of God, Do you think that's the spirit of God leading you? Or is that your own selfishness? Is that your own desires? Because God's people are called to unite together on mission. But the reality is only God can unite a group of people like this, right? Only God can take a group of people full of hotheads, emotionally distraught people, people who doubt, people who are messed up. Only God can unite those people together. And that's what we're called to do. And what specifically mentioned here is prayer, Prayer. Are you praying with people, right? So often we use prayer as this like, it's what we do to start our gatherings. It's what we do to close. It's kind of this buffer. Uh, this is also sometimes like in, if you go to a Christian school, right? It's just kind of how you start class. If you, you know, start a community group like that. Or, but do you actually see it for what it is? It is something in that moment when you pray, when you and a room full of people close your eyes, when you are connecting with the Lord, when you are praying, you are actually, and when you say amen, you are agreeing with what is said. We are united in that moment. Do you have people that you pray with? Do you have people that you meet with? 
That's why we so desperately are wanting to make sure in citizens that everyone in this room has someone to talk to, that every single person that walks in through the doors of our ministry has a group of people that they can connect with because we're not called to do it alone, right? It's dangerous. It's confusing. It's lonely. It's hard to be on mission when you're completely alone. Only God can unite these people, right? That's the miracle of God. That's the miracle of the unity. It's not something. It's something that every, uh, you know, business, it's something that every secular thing, any group of people, they want that. But only Christ, only the kingdom, only the, the church of God can actually have that unity. That unity that is not about promoting ourselves. It's not about promoting our ideas. It's not about promoting our own things. It is actually about promoting Jesus. It's about serving. It's about going. Only God, only God's people can have unity like this. There's plenty of references in Scripture, all of the New Testament, right? All these writers, John, Peter, Paul, writing to these churches scattered around, uh, scattered around the, the ancient world. And he's calling them to unite. He's calling them to be together. It's hard to be on mission alone. When you feel like you're the only Christian in your school, it's hard to have those conversations about Jesus, when you feel like you're the only Christian in, 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 you know, homeroom, it's really hard to, like, have your Bible out and to be cool about it. But when you know, when you look around in a room full of this size, a, a room like this, when you know that there are people constantly around you who are on mission for the same thing, who are united together in love, who are united together under the kingship and the lordship of Christ, it gives you boldness. It gives us boldness. All these with one accord, all these people who have sinned, all these people who are messed up, all these people who have doubted and sinned alike, they were of one accord. Only God can do that, devoting themselves to prayer together. That's what God's people do. That's the mission. That's that God has called us to a mission. God has called us to do this incredible thing, but that is what we get to do as believers. God's followers are persistently united together in prayer and under the mission of God. And sometimes it's weird. Sometimes there's moments when a, a community group leader says something that's like, okay, you know what? I needed to hear that right then. And that was hard for me to hear. And I'm really upset about that, right? Or some friend who loves you and is caring for you, they confront you about a sin, or maybe another person you look up to is, is, is kind of straying away. And it's tough and it's hard and community is weird but it is so worth it. Don't let, the, don't let the enemy try and tell you, okay, that person said that mean thing to you. Now it's time to completely disengage. That person, they offended you in some ways. No, God is always calling his people to unite. God is always calling his people to reconciliation, to redemption, to fixing what is broken. And so that's what we want to do here. That's what we want to be about at Citizens Youth as well. God's followers are united together in prayer and under the mission of God. So continuing on, this is the story. This is where they're at. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. A company of persons was about 120. And then Peter, sa or, uh, yeah, Peter says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. And then skip down to verse 20. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. 
Judas was one of the 12 disciples. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus had 12 disciples who lived here or who lived here on this earth with him, who followed him, who, who were uh, with him constantly for the years that Jesus did ministry on this earth. And Judas, he goes sideways. He at one point decides to portray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gives Jesus over to the religious leaders at the time to be sentenced to an unlawful death in a completely backwards, unjust trial. And Judas walks away, handing over the Savior of the world to be tortured and put to death, and 30 silver coins in his pocket. Pretty bad trade deal, right? Pretty bad deal. Could you imagine that? The Savior of the world, God in flesh, the one to redeem, the one to rescue, the one to save everything, the one who brings perfect peace, the one who restores. You're going to trade that for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Really? Judas then in his uh, distress, Jesus is of course killed in his distress. We see recorded in the book of Matthew that uh, Judas tries to return the 30 pieces of silver. He tries to return these things to the religious leaders. They won't take it. And then it says, and we're going to read here, we're going to see here, that he, he just leaves it. He throws those coins and Judas goes out and he commits suicide. He's distraught and he is gone. He is just overwhelmed with his sin. And here recorded, it gets, a pretty, it gets pretty graphic here, right? It says this in 18, Now a man acquired a field with the reward of wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed, gushed out. And it became known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that field was called in their own language, Akadolama? Uh, Akadolama? Anyone know what it says? Anyone want to say it out loud? That's right. You got it. <laughs> it is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, right? And it's just what we recorded. So Judas trades over the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. Why did the Bible have to be so graphic with this description, right? Why did it have to be so specific about him falling over, right? Matthew, of course, records that Judas uh, hung himself, and here it's saying this thing happened. And so many scholars believe that these stories are just uh, two parts of the same story. They're not separate accounts. This was one thing that happened, right? Some of the scholars believe that the, the branch that he was hanging from may have fallen, and we see what happens. Some scholars believe this is a reference to his body just rotting over time, just slowly in the middle of a field. But whatever the point is, we know that it's super gross, right? And why did the Bible have to be so descriptive? The Bible, we don't make any apologies for what the Bible actually says, right? I'm not getting up here and saying, oh, we're just going to skip this part. It's kind of weird. We don't really understand it. No, the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we know very specifically this is the nauseating consequences of betraying Jesus. This is the gross and disgusting consequence of sin. The Bible uses language all throughout the New and Old Testament, the one reality that the consequences of sin is death. The consequences of not being faithful to Jesus is death. And trading the Savior of the world, Jesus, for 30 pieces of silver, what does that lead to? The cost of choosing the world over Jesus is death. And we see that here in this passage. So that's who Judas was. He was a disciple of 
uh, he was a disciple of Jesus. He was close, he betrayed him, and he suffers, and he has this brutal end. And so often we look at these passages and we're like, why would the Bible be so descriptive? That is just how gross sin can be. Because we live in a society that likes to just kind of paint a like nice picture on sin. We actually live in a place and in a world where we want to celebrate sin. When the Bible would be much more descriptive, when the Bible would be much more clear that the consequences of such actions do not lead anywhere good. When the world says, you know, this thing isn't that super big, big of a deal, and if you just, you're not hurting anyone else, and as long as it's not affecting anyone else, as long as you, uh, you know, have your wits in about you, you could do whatever it is that you want. Or, the, you know, the world says, it's okay, like, if you just have enough good things to outweigh the bad, overall, you're going to be a decent person. When the Bible paints a very different picture, the Bible paints a picture that is graphic, but true. The Bible paints a picture that is offensive, but much needed to be heard. The Holy Spirit, you know, you need to be awoken to this reality that sin always leads to death. We so often in our lives pick things over Christ, things that are so insignificant, because sin is a pretty bad deal. Sin is a bad deal. Sin promises us the world, but delivers us death. Sin promises satisfaction, but brings us hunger. Sin promises us wealth, but brings us into debt and to death. And that's what Judas had. That's what he experienced. Trading over the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver and then being distressed to the point of committing suicide. That's the tragic and sad end of Judas. But the reality is we, on our lives, are often tempted to trade the goodness of God, the instructions of God, the blessings of God for something far, far, far less. And that is sin. What, is it, what good does it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, Mark says. What, is it, what good does it do if we gain everything in this world, wealth, power, money, whatever it may be, and we lose our soul? Judas sought out the treasures of this world rather than the presence of the Savior of the world. And I love you enough to tell you that oftentimes we do the same thing. After we, you know, become saved, we know that we'll never be separated from God. If you're a Christian, nothing can take you out of God's hand. But oftentimes we choose those things that are so much less. When God has called us to a life of purity, we try and dabble with things that are clearly wrong. When God has called us to a life of peace, we are tempted to get angry and we are tempted to cause disunity. When God has called us to, uh, to a life after following him, we are called sometimes in our own flesh to selfishness, to division. We choose things that are so much less. And when God says, don't, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. Right? My old pastor, someone I really respect, he said this, when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. When you choose to sin, when you choose to go against the will and the ways of God, you choose to suffer. And so here we are in this life, and you might be right now in this moment thinking, man, I choose to sin all the time. There's moments and times in my life where it's hard for me to make the right decision. And that's where it goes back to being together with brothers and sisters in Jesus. And that's where it comes, where we're going to see the Holy Spirit, how he convicts us of sin. And so oftentimes we choose the things that are much less than what God would have for us. But the reality is, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus, it's not about the good works we can do, but it's all about the grace and the love that God has 
offered us. So this passage in scripture, we read it and we're like, that's kind of a bummer. That's kind of weird. Why did it talk about, you know, it's this, it's this grotesque and weird and gross picture of the realities of sin. And it's brought forth to us full page. It's brought just front row right here. It is. Jesus has so much better things for you. If you're choosing right now to live a life where you're trying to hide sin, you're trying to minimize sin, you're trying to paint sin in a different life, you're trying to agree with the world and say, you know, this really isn't as bad as it could be, right? We need to know, we need to be reminded of the fact that this is what sin leads to. This is what turning our backs on Jesus does. But we rest not on our own good works, right? Not on trying to become better, not on like, man, okay, I read this. I have to be really, really good now or I, this is going to happen to me. No, this is the reality of someone. If someone who is not turned, not repented from their sins, this is the, ultimately the tragic end that they face. But you and I, as redeemed, as loved, as sons and daughters of God, we get to run back to Jesus constantly. We get to run to him and to God's people to be redeemed, to be rescued by God's saving power. That's what we do. That's who we are. So the Bible is very explicit about the consequences of sin. Don't pick the lesser things. Don't be tempted to pick the things that are just going to bring you death instead of life. Jesus is too precious. He is so precious and close and near to you. And this is why we have community. This is why we have the people of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us. Verses 21 through 26. Here we are in this final passage you know, this final passage before the coming of the Holy Spirit in chapter two. And the disciples now have decided to cast lots and they're gonna pick a new uh, apostle. They're gonna pick a new apostle to join in this brotherhood, to join the group of 12. They take lots, they, they gather these two men around. The one has like two separate names, one in, one in Greek, one in Latin, it's kind of funny. And then the other, Matthias, they draw straws and then Matthias is chosen to be that 12th apostle. Because God is faithful to strengthen his followers while they're on mission. Like, could you imagine this? These guys, what they've seen, the gaping hole left by this person who had betrayed them. And they realized that God had called them to add another to their midst. And God was faithful to strengthen his followers on mission. Before they were called out, before they received the power of the Holy Spirit, before they go out and they change the entire world, God has called now another person into this group. So that's our final point. God is faithful to strengthen his followers on mission. So they're united together. The, the, you know, the narrative takes a pause to show the realities of, of the realities of sin and the decisions that were made by Judas to betray Jesus. And now God is continuing to strengthen. Even when God uh, brings you know, people, when, when God, you know, um, is sovereign over the people uh, uh, that he has leading his church, he is always strengthening his mission. He is always strengthening his people to do what he has called them to do. God is faithful to strengthen his people on mission. He adds this brother to join in the congregation and to join them as an apostle. So we see from this passage a couple of cool things, right? So we hear that word. It's like, what is apostle, right? And it says we need somebody who saw everything that Jesus did, right? And that's a key, that's a key phrase here. This is why we believe apostles were specifically these men who saw Jesus, who saw the resurrection of Christ. 
They said, we need another person to be a witness. And so they picked this man, Matthias. And so that's why we don't call ourselves apostles. We, don't, we haven't seen Jesus. We didn't see the holes in his hand. We didn't hear his voice, right? So we're followers, we're disciples, we're not apostles. And so that's specifically a passage. And this is really interesting as well. This is the last time that the people of God were recorded here in the book or for the rest of the Bible that the, the, the followers of God cast lots to decide. This is the last time it happens, conveniently right before the Holy Spirit's going to guide and direct them. This is the last time it happens all throughout Scripture. I thought that was super fascinating. But the reality is we've been talking about it for weeks now. God has called you to mission. God has called you to something. He's called you to reach that school, that class, that person that is lost, that is far from God, that situation that is dark, that situation that is grim. Oftentimes we try and avoid those things, but sometimes those are the very situation that God's called us to because he wants us to be a light in a dark place. He wants us to be witnesses in a place that are desperately in need of witnesses, of followers of Jesus. And we see here this glimpse into the Lord bringing in a new person to help on this mission that God will always give you the things that you need in order to accomplish the mission he has called you to. He is faithful to strengthen you. He's faithful to strengthen you. He's faithful to strengthen his church. He is faithful to strengthen this ministry. He will be faithful. He will be faithful, but God's people are called to be united together in this process, committed to one another. So where are you at? It's a very honest question you have to ask yourself. Am I constantly trying to grow closer with the people of God, the things of God, the community of God, the conviction of God, or am I trying slowly to push myself away? Am I dabbling with the things in this world? Am I trading the blessings of knowing and being close with Jesus for things that are so much less and so much more destructive sin in my life? Am I believing that God can give me the things that I need in order to do the mission? Or am I making up excuses? Well, there's not enough. I don't have enough you know, energy. I don't have enough time. Where are you at? This passage shows us that God is faithful on mission. He is constantly taking care of us. He's constantly taking care of us as we are taking care of the things that he has called us to do. He's caring for us. He's guiding us. He's directing us when we take care of the things that he's put in front of us. And so that's where we are right in the story. Jesus' followers unite together and obey the instructions of Jesus as we wait in faith. And we wait in faith that he will be faithful to complete the things that he has called us to do. These united people, the people who are together of one mind, of one accord, they're different from each other, right? They didn't, not have arguments ever. They didn't not like have days where they just like wanted to punch the other in the face. Like I'm sure they had all these things, but at the end of the day, they submitted all those things to God and said, God, your kingdom is too important. Your mission is too important. Your ways are too important. And so that's where we get to go. As a ministry and as people, we get to unite together with God's people. It is a blessing. Don't try and do the Christian life alone. If you've been struggling, if you've been scared or timid, just don't be. 
everyone's kind of scared and timid. Everyone kind of has these weird thoughts of like, do people love me? Am I supposed to be here? Let me just tell you that God loves you. He is here for you. The people of God, though we're not perfect, though we mess up, though there may be a thing that happens along the way that we need to fix and figure out, God wants you to be united together with his people. Don't stray away. Don't don't follow after the things that are so much worse or lesser than God. Don't pretend or don't act like or don't give these excuses as to why you can't be united together with, with God's people. God loves you. He cares for you. He has given you so many people to, to care for you, to pray with you, to be united with you in love and on the mission of God. And so we're going to see here that Jesus, that God, he's faithful in the waiting for these 10 days before the promise that Jesus made was to come into fruition. This is what they were doing. What a beautiful image for us. When things are hard, when things are weird, where do you go? When things are awesome, when things are successful, where do you go? Is it to constantly be united to the people and the mission of God? Something we have to ask ourselves. Would you guys pray with me? God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the story. Thank you for the realities of, of your word and how there's moments and times where we need to hear your word and be offended by the reality of what's in it to heal our hearts, to heal our souls. God, I pray that you would be with us as we're on mission, as you've called us to reach a friend, to reach a classmate, to reach a brother and sister. God, I pray that you would allow us to submit to you overall, right? And to join together with the people that you've put in our lives. God, we're so thankful for this time we get to spend with one another. God, help us to not fake it, right? When things are hard, help us to talk about how hard they are. When things don't feel right, let us talk about these things, but let us know that we are united together, that we are supposed to be of one mind, of one accord. God, thank you for the work you've done. Thank you that it's not about our own goodness, but God, help us to trust you in this process, to love you more, to grow closer to you. God, thank you for your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.